Well, good morning, everyone. Good to be here. My name is Steve Wallen. I am not one of the pastors here at Genesis Church. Uh, but for those of you who have welcomed me back, been excited to see me, whatever, uh, let's talk in half an hour and see how you feel after that, okay? We'll, we'll just take it one step at a time. For those of you who have made jokes about taking naps, uh, about uh, maybe sitting this one out, thank you for um, the humility. I appreciate that too. Uh, if you don't know me, I've been a part, my family and I've been a part of Genesis Church for over 20 years now. And uh, I was on staff for the last 12 years until this past summer uh, when I left to become a financial advisor. And uh, yes, I did disclose to my compliance officer that I was going to be here today. So if you're a compliance officer in the room, uh, I've got that taken care of. Uh, but because many of you have asked how I'm doing on the job, I, I wanted to tell you um, it's been going great. It's been going really well. I really feel like um, this is a place where God has me uh, for a very good reason. Uh, in 12 years of ministry here, I saw often how money could cause hardship in relationships. It could be a, a barrier for people in their relationship with each other and with God, and I longed to make a difference in that way, but I didn't really have the tools or know how. And so now I get a week work with people like you every day to help them reach their financial goals, and I am working hard to change the opinion that people have of financial advisors in the world. So what do I miss? What do I miss about being on staff here? Two things. I miss our staff. I miss uh, the team of people that works here every day to make this happen. And I can say this now that I'm detached from and not part of it. Uh, Genesis Church has the best staff in the history of church. And so uh, I'm, they're great. Yeah, they deserve a hand. I, I miss working with these people every day and uh, just getting to see their faces Monday through Thursday. And that brings up the second thing I miss. I miss Fridays. Uh, <laughs> you know, at the church, we worked Sunday through Thursday, and it was a long week. It was a hard week. But today, for now, for me, Friday is just a work day, just like it is for you, uh, just like for all the normal people in the world. And uh, that's, that's hard sometimes. That's, that was an awesome gift from God that I probably took for granted to have Fridays off. And now uh, it's just another work day. So, but I'm really glad to be back up here with you all today. Um, if you've got a Bible with you, go ahead and open it to Luke chapter 18. That's where we're going to start this morning. Uh, if you don't have a Bible with you, we've got a Bible that's a gift for you. They're in the back of the room on that black table. Feel free to get up and get one now. There's a blue Bible back there. Luke 18 can be found on page 716 in that Bible. If you've got your own Bible, you're on your own. I don't know what page it's on. It's in the New Testament somewhere. Um, some of you uh, friends of mine know that my mom uh, passed away a couple of years ago. And when someone close to you passes away, you've always got the grief around the loss of a loved one, but then you also have the hard part that comes after, right? The cleaning up of all the stuff, the cleaning out of a house, the getting rid of all of the things that they accumulated over their life. And um, with when my mom passed away, my wife and I took on the bulk of uh, cleaning out her house. Let me rephrase that. I moved a couple pieces of furniture out. My wife really took the bulk of the hard work, which was cleaning out the pantries, cleaning out the cabinets, um, going through every closet, every dresser drawer, and seeing what uh, my mom had. She, she, my wife, she's such a gem. She's such a gem. Um, now, had you walked into my mom's house, you probably wouldn't peg her for a hoarder. But when you start cleaning out the garage and the pantry and the bedrooms, um, what you start to find is like she kept every birthday card any of us kids ever sent her, right? She had every note, every letter she ever got from one of her sisters or her parents. She, um, 
well, let me just give you some statistics. She had 64 tubes of mascara that had never been open. She had 32 boxes of Jello, all of which were expired. And the oldest one had expired 20 years before she passed away, which means that she moved it to two houses. And uh, I knew this would be the case with my mom because a couple years before we had helped her move. And when my wife was helping her clean out the kitchen, I remember very distinctly this conversation. Um, Jean, you have seven turkey basters. What is an appropriate number of turkey basters to keep? And so my mom thought about it for a minute and she said, maybe five? Like, <laughs> what, are, like, are we like multiple people basting the turkey at the same time? What are we doing here? I don't know. But my wife said, well, how about two? Like, is two a good number? You know, so it's easy, it's easy for us to poke fun at a hoarder, right? I mean, we've got an entire TV show about it that has now gone for 13 seasons. Do you know that? Hoarders is in its just finished this 13 season. What are you people doing with your lives that you're watching this TV show? That's what I want to know. But uh, it's easiest for us to poke fun of that. But let's be honest. We're all storing up something. We're all secretly hoarding something, right? Let me ask you, how many of you have more clothes or shoes than you could ever wear for the rest of your life? Anybody? Ladies, do you need a purse for every imaginable occasion? Yes, some of you are saying yes. Guys, how many golf clubs do we need? Like, how many drivers are you going to go through before you realize that maybe the driver is not the problem? Like, maybe it's your swing. Kids, will there ever be enough Legos, or Barbies, Pokemon cards? And uh, I can't really talk because someday my family is going to have to deal with the 2,500 comic books that are in my closet uh, they're going to have to deal with. So here's one. Remember when we were all hoarders back in 2020? How many rolls of toilet paper did you have in your closet? We're all storing up something. Why? Well, because there's something deep down inside of all of us, I think, that is convinced that having more of something is guaranteed to make life better. But the truth is that our desire for more has created this huge problem for us. Uh, when we put our hopes in money, we are bound to be sorely disappointed. Consider this. These are some statistics I saw this week. The average American household has over $15,000 of credit card debt and $34,000 of student debt. That's the average. That means that half of us are actually higher than that. The average American household, though, only has $3,800 in non-retirement savings. So that's a huge debt load compared to the amount of cash that we've got stored away. Only 18% Americans, one in five, less than one in five, are very confident that they'll ever have enough to retire. And about one and a half million American households declare bankruptcy every year. But it's not just those statistics that prove it. Let's look at the way money affects the rest of our lives. We fight more with our spouses about money than any other subject. It's the number one cause of divorce for couples in their 20s and 30s. Uh, we often are jealous or judgmental towards others who have more money, more things than we do. You drove past 17 houses this morning to get here that are nicer than yours, right? And you notice it. They, they've got nicer houses. They take nicer vacations. They've got nicer cars. They've got more Christmas lights up already. And, you know, you've, they've got all the stuff. And many of us live in a constant state of anxiety and worry about needing more and not having enough. And just to be clear, this is not how God wants us to live. 
So last week we kicked off this new series called Less is More, and Paul talked about experiencing less greed and more gratitude. Today what we want to do is talk about having less want and more contentment, more contentment. And over the next few weeks, we're going to look at what God has to say on the subject of money. And surprisingly, it's a lot. If you were to open up your Bible and go through and count all the verses on money and possessions, what you'd find is there are over 2,300 verses in the Bible about money. It's more than double the number of verses about faith and prayer combined. The Bible has more to say about money than faith and prayer combined. In fact, as we read the Gospels, we see about 15% of what Jesus taught about was about money and possessions. And so if we boil it all down, what the Bible has to say about money, what is it that God wants for us in our financial lives? Well, this may surprise you, but it's not necessarily that you're supposed to have less. It's also maybe not that you're supposed to have more. But I think God's solution for us is to learn the proper view of money and resources so that our lives can be less about us and more about him, more about this world, less about this worldly kingdom and more about his godly kingdom. And so a quick note to those of you who are new or visiting, we don't always talk about money, okay? We don't always teach about that, but we also don't shy away from it. And I know that talking about money and finances in church is Uh, One of those things that can cause all kinds of feelings uh, to be brought up inside of you. In fact, my wife knew that I was preaching today, and she said, are they making you preach about money? And I said, yeah. And she goes, well, of course they are. Yeah, of course you're preaching about money. Um, But I know that there have been a lot of churches and leaders that have been really bad examples in this area or have even abused their authority when it comes to money and finances. And if you've been part of a church like that, I just want to say I'm sorry. I'm sorry, not all Christians are like that. Not all churches are like that. There are some very good people doing very good work in this space and being very good stewards. And I think Genesis Church is among them and I'm completely detached from it now so I can say that. But I'm asking you today to give us a chance just to speak biblically into this area of our lives. You know, for, for many people, this finances is the last area of our lives that we are open to letting the Lord into. Like we, we tell him to come and be the Lord of our lives and the Lord of our bodies, but not the Lord of my wallet. Okay, this is mine. I'm going to keep this for myself, but the rest of me you can have. We, you know, we, is there a song about that? I don't know. Jesus, take all of me except this part right here, like this little square. Um, and so here's what I want to invite you to do. Just lean in over the next few weeks. Just lean in to this topic with us because it's important. And for some of us, money can have a real hold on our hearts. So needless to say, if this topic is so important to Jesus, it should be important to us. In Matthew 6, Jesus summarized his thoughts on money this way. He says this, don't store up treasures here on earth. Store your treasures in heaven for wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. Jesus tells his followers that the way we view money and possessions is, it's a heart issue. It's going to shape our hearts in one of two ways. It can either be positive and life-giving, or it can be negative and life-sucking. And the difference, well, it all comes down to our view of money. Uh, We can see it as a tool, or we can see it as a goal. And if 
It's a, a tool or a resource. It's a supply. It's a support. It's a service that can be used and distributed when needed. But if it's a goal, it can quickly become an idol. And an idol is anything we put in the place of God. There's a big difference, right? It's a big difference in the way we can view money. And so it makes sense that Jesus wants us to view our money as a resource, as something that God has entrusted us with. He's put in our lives uh, in hopes that we will use it wisely to help other people find their way back to him versus an idol that distracts us and draws our heart away from God altogether. I want you to see something here. Jesus talked about money so much and was so wise in this area that what you see as you read his story is people often come up to him to ask him for financial advice. Can you imagine that? And most of you probably have not gone to a pastor for financial advice, but here's this rabbi, this traveling teacher, who's so wise in this area that people are often coming up to him to ask him questions about this. So we've got two examples of stories today where this happens. Luke 18 is the first place. It tells us that one day this wealthy young man uh, tracked down Jesus and asked him, good teacher, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus kind of went through some of the commandments that have to do with the way we treat other people. You know, love your neighbor as yourself. That's kind of what he boiled it down to. And the, the man said, well, I've done all that. You know, check. Followed all the commandments. That's good. Yeah, yeah that's, there's some humility there, right? Um, but then he said, uh, what else? And Jesus, this is how Jesus answered to him, Luke, Luke 18, 22. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, you still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When he heard this, tells us, the man became very sad because he was very wealthy. Now, this story is probably the best example in Scripture of what a firm grip money can have on our heart. You know, if you don't believe that money can be an idol for people, all you have to do is look at this young man. He looked in the face of God himself. And he's standing in front of Jesus, asking him, he asked him this question, what's the key to eternal life? And Jesus tells him. And so now he's faced with this choice and you can almost just picture him standing here and he's looking at the kingdom of God right in front of him. And then he looks back at his money and he's kind of going back and forth for a while. Kingdom of God, my money. Kingdom of God, my stuff. And eventually he just walks away. Walks away from the kingdom of God and eventually he chooses his money. Now what we need to understand from this story is this is not Jesus's universal prescription for how you get into heaven, all right? He's not saying if you... Genesis Church, if you sell everything and give the money to the poor, uh, then you'll inherit eternal life. The only way to inherit eternal life is to trust Jesus with your life. Bible says that over and over and over again. You know, it, uh, it tells us if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. So this is not a recipe for eternal life, but this is Jesus looking at this one man and saying, hey, there's something that has a hold of your heart. And if you're going to truly give your life over to me, you need to get rid of that something. It's, it's Jesus telling us that our view of money is not a money issue. It's a heart issue. And Jesus doesn't need your money. But he wants all of your heart. Now, if you turn back a few pages to Luke 12, we find Jesus in a similar situation. 
These two brothers were arguing over their family inheritance, and they decided to drag Jesus into their little family squabble, and Jesus responded by telling him this parable. This is how it starts. Then he said to them, Watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed, for life does not consist in an abundance of possession. And then he tells them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, What shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. Now let's stop for a moment and make some observations about this. <laughs> First, is this guy doing anything different than many of the rest of us are doing with their life? He's working hard. He's saving for the future. To his credit, he appears to be on his way to an early retirement, right? Business is good. His 401k is fully funded. So he decides, hey, it's time to kick back and enjoy life. I mean, after all, that's the goal, right? We want to save as much as we can and then kick back, preferably as fast as possible. So I don't have to go to that place anymore that sucks the life out of me Monday through Friday. Let's keep reading. Verse 20, but God said to him, you fool. <laughs> he called him a fool. He said, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? Anybody else feel a little awkward right now? <laughs> like, here's this guy basically doing what I'm doing. So is Jesus saying it's wrong to work hard and save for retirement? I don't think that's the point he's trying to make. Look at verse 21. He says, this is how it will be. With whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. This guy's problem wasn't that he had worked hard or that he had saved up. According to God, his problem was that he only was living for himself, and he never factored God into the equation. Pastor Gary Johnson points out that this guy's problem was twofold. One, he never saw beyond his life, and two, he never saw so beyond this life. To that point, the man in the parable uses the words, I, me, my, and myself, 10 different times. He was very focused on his, himself and his needs, and the result was that God called him a fool. Now, I don't know how you feel about that word, but I don't ever want the Lord to use that word about me. But when the time came for this man to stand before God in judgment, he didn't have anything to rely on except all the things he had done for himself. Now, according to the world standards, he appeared to have it all. He had done well, right? He'd been successful in life. But according to God, this man had nothing of real eternal value to show for his life. Now, this parable from Jesus should catch our attention because the world we live in tells us to do exactly what this man in the parable was doing. Work hard, be successful, save as much as you can so that you can retire well. And just to be clear, working hard, being successful is not sinful, but according to Jesus, hoarding everything that we have for ourselves is a sin issue. And so here's what these stories tell us. Our appetites only know one word, more. And unfortunately, no matter how much you have, more is never enough. And I know that you guys are smart people. You've probably heard that before. I'm guessing this is not news to any of you. But even though you know it, it's still a hard lesson to learn, right? Sometimes you know something, 
but you haven't experienced it yet. And when you experience it, it still hits you differently than you thought it would, even though you know it, right? There's something, there's one thing to like have head knowledge of something. And there's another thing to actually live through it and experience. And you will go, oh, that was harder than I thought it would be, even though I knew it was going to be hard. Well, that's kind of how this lesson, I think, is with a lot of us. We know it's true, but because we haven't experienced it in our life, we don't really know it. So since we are learning that less is more in this series, here's the question I want to ask today. How do we move to a place with less want and more contentment? First of all, I think it's helpful for us if we want to move toward contentment to grasp how much it is that we actually have. Uh, How much, when it comes to wealth and resources, like where do we stand against the rest of the world? Let's be honest, living on the north side of Indy, it can be really hard to feel wealthy when there are so many examples of extreme wealth all around us. But there's this website called Giving What We Can, and it helps you calculate how wealthy you are compared to the rest of the world. All you do, you enter your income and answer a few questions, and the calculation tool does the rest. And so here's what we found this week. The average income for a single person in Hamilton County is $47,343. You can see there that the median person's income in the world. Now, median, if you forget this from math class, just a quick lesson, median means that half are larger and half are smaller, right? So that's the middle person in the world is right around $3,000 a year. If you're average in Hamilton County, you're at $47,000 a year, which means you are richer than 98.3% of the globe. 1.7% of the world is richer than you if you make $47,000 a year. And many of you make more than that, right? And so um, that's crazy, first of all, because you look around, you don't think you're richer than 98% of your neighbors. Um, But last week, if, if this is true, if this is true, why don't I feel like I'm rich? Why don't I feel like I ever have enough? Why do I still worry about money. Uh, Why do I still worry if I'll be able to pay the bills at the end of the month? Why do I still think everybody around me has it better than I do? Well, last two weeks ago, I guess we wrapped up our series in the book of Acts for most of the year. If you haven't been with us, we were studying uh, the book of Acts. We learned how the Holy Spirit was active in powerful ways through the first followers of Jesus and how the first church expanded uh, from Jerusalem to the rest of the world. But in Acts chapter 2, we learned how the early church began to practice generosity and giving to God in radical ways. Acts 2.44 says this, And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions, and they shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity. You probably noticed in here, in those three verses, the word shared is in there three times. And how did they share? The last line gives us a hint, with great joy and generosity. In the book of Acts, we see the church normalizing generosity towards God and towards other people in radical ways. And we want that kind of radical generosity to become the norm here at Genesis Church too. And and so learning to live generously isn't dependent on how much money you make or what you give compared to anyone else. The giving is an act of worship. It's a movement of faith to take the next step beyond where you are right now. 
And so to illustrate this, uh, there's this picture we've used around here for a while, and we call it the generosity ladder. You'll see it here on the screen. The ladder helps us think about practical steps we can take to break the hold of greed and grow in the area of gratitude and generosity towards God one step at a time. Here's the thing. When you see a ladder up against a building, you don't try to jump onto the top step. That's dangerous. When you're putting up your Christmas lights this week, don't try that. Okay? What you want to do is take one step at a time. That's important. We take one step at a time. That's, what a, that's how a ladder works. That's what it's made for, right? So last week, Paul challenged you that if you're not currently giving to Genesis Church, would you make that first step and become a first-time giver? If you've never given to the ministry of a church before, maybe you take that step and just boldly give a gift. And I know many of you did that. And so this week, I want to challenge a different group of you. I want to challenge the group that's on that first step. Now, if you just started this this week, this is not for you. Last week, that's not for you, okay? If you became a first-time giver last week, I'm not saying, aha, bait and switch. We're going to change it up now. But if you are here and you've given before, or maybe you give sporadically when you can, I want to challenge you to take that second step and become a consistent giver. This means that you start giving to Genesis weekly, monthly, bi-weekly, whatever fits with your pay schedule on a regular basis. Now, this is uh, something my wife Benita and I learned to do uh, many years ago, fairly early on in our marriage. What you need to know about us is we weren't Christians when we got married. Um, but she came to Christ a few years into our marriage, and then we started going to church together. And I remember one day sitting in a church not unlike this one, uh, listening to a sermon not unlike this one, and the pastor challenged us to start giving. Actually, the, the passage he used, he was preaching from uh, 2 Corinthians 9, 7, which says, Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And he was talking about what it means to be a cheerful giver. And I remember sitting in my seat, squirming a little bit, maybe like you're doing right now, and thinking, well, that's great because I don't know that I can be cheerful about giving to the church every week. See, at that time, we didn't have much. My wife and I, we were both working full-time, but we were going to school part-time in the evenings, and um, we, weren't, we had jobs, but we weren't doing the jobs of our dreams. And we had our first mortgage, and we had a car payment, and we were both young and still in school. Money was a precious commodity for us. And so um, we didn't have online giving at that time. It was many years ago. And so if we wanted to give, you would bring cash or bring a check. And sometimes I would forget to bring the checkbook to church. You know what I'm saying? Like, oh, darn, it's in the car. I, uh, I don't know what to do about that. But when this pastor challenged me, and I, believed, I trusted him, and I believed him when he said that God would be my provider, and so we decided we're going to start giving every week no matter what. And uh, since then, our giving has grown, and we've automated it, and we've seen our generosity grow so much. Now, are we perfect? No, we're, we're not the story that you want to emulate. I mean, while uh, our story may inspire some of you, I can just, I, looking around this room, I know other giving stories that are so inspiring and so incredible, you would want to give everything that you have away if I told them to you. And in fact, maybe you have a story like that that I haven't heard or that we haven't heard. I want to just encourage you. We'd love to hear your giving story, whether it's you learning to give in a new and sacrificial way, or maybe somebody gave a gift to you that meant a lot to you. 
Um, I'd love to hear that story. We'd love to hear that story. You can just drop us a line, info at genesischurch.me. Let us know your generosity story. I had somebody that told me one right after the first service, and it was incredible. So, so here's how I want to encourage you today. I want to encourage you to become a consistent giver. Now, you can do this uh, online at genesischurch.me slash give. You can use that QR code on the screen right there. Or if you're here in person today, you can use the giving boxes in the back of the room with check or cash. However you do it, make the commitment. Now, question that we asked this week, what if you're here today and you'd love to start giving, but you're one of those people in that situation we talked about early in the service, you're drowning in debt. You just don't have the margin to give right now. I know many of you in the past have gone through Financial Peace University here at at Genesis, and uh, we're going to do that again. We'll probably do it again after the holidays. But in the meantime, I wanted to take take a minute to introduce you to a free budget counseling service called Money Canvas. If you've got a phone right now and and you might be interested in this, you might get it out. This is provided by Thriven. It's by the company I work for. But uh, so I hesitated to bring it up. But as I talked to Paul and Jerry this week, we agreed because it's a free service. I don't benefit from it at all. Thriven doesn't benefit from it at all. It's something they give away as part of being a not-for-profit. It is uh, with Money Canvas, you're paired with a budgeting coach online that will help you come up with a plan to save more and get out of debt. You can meet with them once, twice, three times, as many times as you need to. It's completely free, no matter how many times you meet with them. I don't get anything from it. Like I said, you don't have to be a thriving customer. It's just part of the service that we offer as the community as a not-for-profit. And so if you want to sign up, we're going to put a QR code on the screen here. You can shoot a picture of that with your phone. It'll take you to the sign-up page, and you will be paired with a coach, like I said. Um, And so you can get help and start to give. Because here's what I've found. Giving does something in our heart. Giving does something in our heart. It turns our attention away from the things of this world and to the things of God. In fact, do you know how my wife got my mom to give away all those turkey basters? When she wouldn't go past keeping five of them, she said, well, Gene, I don't have a turkey baster. Maybe I could take one home. I bet your daughter Stephanie would like one of those. I bet your granddaughter would like one of those. And eventually, my mom had given away all but two of her turkey basters. Why? Because giving does something in our hearts. This is so important when it comes to having, uh, moving towards uh, less want and more contentment. You know, somebody who learned this lesson and wants to pass it on to us is the Apostle Paul. In fact, He left us a reminder in his letter to the church in Philippi, Philippians 4.12. He says this, he says, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. Did you see that? There's a secret to being content. This is super important for us to understand. There is a secret to being content. And get this, Paul says, we can learn it, that he's learned it, right? So he, he had to learn it. So if he can learn it, we can learn it. Uh, wherever we are in life, no matter what's happened to us, I mean, maybe you've had a bad life, but think about the Apostle Paul, if you know his story. His story's crazy. He had a bad life. When he said, talks about being in need, he's talking about being in a Roman prison chained to a guard 24 hours a day, right? He knows what it is to be in need. He knows what it is to have plenty. And he learned the secret to being content. But wait, if there's a way for us all to be content, why don't we do it? Christians, why aren't we content? 
Why are we still chasing happiness? Why are we still hoarding in life? Because it's a secret. Paul says there's a secret to being content, but you know what? It's really not a secret. And it's really not even something that you have to learn because Paul gives it to us for free. And maybe you even have this on a coffee cup somewhere in your house, but you don't know where it came from. But the very next verse, he tells us the secret to being content. And it's this, Philippians 4.13. He says, I can do all this through him, Christ, who gives me strength. Whatever you're trying to do, whatever you're trying to accomplish in life, if you do it on your own, you're never going to be content. But through Christ, you can do all things. Okay, I want you to keep this in mind this week, especially if you take up this challenge, all right? If you decide, yes, I'm in, Steve. We're going to become a consistent giver. We're going to start giving because here's what's going to happen. Next week, your water heater will go out. Uh, or the alternator in your car, or your kid will come home with holes in his shoes, or something's going to happen at work, and you're going to be like, God, I made this decision to become a consistent giver, and now this is happening. Why is this happening to me? I can't just give all my money away. And the Apostle Paul reminds you that you can do it. You, you can do all this through Christ. He is your savior. He is your provider. He is your portion forever. He is enough for you and for me. So keep at it. Keep going. Give a good effort. Be consistent. It's like many years ago when I was learning to play golf and I would go shoot around one afternoon and then I'd come back to work the next morning and I'd be all frustrated and it's such a terrible game. It's so awful. I don't play golf anymore, by the way. I gave it up a long time ago because I was always awful at it. But I would, I would come back into work and I would tell my coworker and he would say, Steve, how often do you play golf? And I'm like, I like two or three times a month. And he said, how good would you be at the violin if you practiced two or three times a month? Oh, I get it now. Now I get it. In the same way, if we want to grow in our faith and our generosity, we can't just give once in a while. We got to practice consistently giving back to God. We have to practice it over and over and over again until it's second nature for us. Hey, if you don't get anything else from this message today, I hope you'll hear this. There is a God who loves you. He cares about you so much that he came to earth for you. He went to the cross to die for you. And he was raised from the dead for you. And he doesn't want you to live in the constant need of more. God wants to free you from the hold that money has on you. He wants to relieve you of the pressure and stress you feel when you misplace your hope in money. He wants you to, to learn the secret of being content in any and every circumstance. And the secret is that he is all we need. Would you pray for us? Pray with us. Lord, um, I thank you for these word pictures that these parables generate for us and help us to understand the effect that money can have on our heart. I thank you that Jesus was such a wise teacher, such a great uh, conveyor of these ideas of the kingdom of God. And Lord, I'm, I, I'm, just, I just, I'm sorry for the times where I've made money more of an idol or a goal in my life. I want to use it as a tool. I want to use it as a resource to help grow your kingdom. And I know many people in this room feel the same way. And so, Lord, would you just act in our hearts? Would you help us to take that step, to be generous, to make that switch 
flip in our heart where we are more interested in the things of your world than the things of this world. And God, when, when that happens and when we realize that you are all that we need, that you are more than enough for us, Lord, that, that we will give you all the praise and all the glory you deserve. In Jesus' name, we pray these things. Amen.